Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. And today on the podcast, we're doing something a little bit different, as we'll be offering quick reviews of four brand new movies, those being Spencer, The French Dispatch, The Heart of the Fall, and Belfast. But before we get to all of those movies, Scott, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, We've both been seeing a lot of movies, (laughs) I think it's fair to say, over the last month and a half we'll call it we've both been to film festivals in that time we both talked about a lot of the movies that we've seen there and you know in our normal viewing habits as well but there are some that we felt like had slipped through the cracks that i i one slipped through the cracks when we were seeing them two they had a slightly later release date like they hadn't technically come out yet so they've all come out around this time um and what better way to do it without a really like big cornerstone release this weekend than just let's just talk about all the movies that we wanted to talk about. We didn't really get the chance to. Um, so I'm kind of excited yeah. for this new little experiment. It'll probably go terribly. We'll never do it again. But hey, we tried it. Yeah, we did. And yeah, it's interesting. A uh, friend of friend of the show, Paul Yama, was saying to me the other day, how does it feel that you've basically seen almost all of the uh the movie the big movies for the rest of the year i I mean you know with the exception of you know there's a few i mean i haven't seen power of the dog yet you have i haven't seen licorice pizza obviously neither of us have west side story you know tick tick boom i don't i don't count i don't count west side story in this category but and certainly not for me for me certainly um but um as far as that probably, uh, you know, honestly, the, Scott, what this will probably mean is that w- with that mindset, West, I'm going to go into West Side Story and it's going to be my favorite movie of the year. It's going to yeah. be like my number three or like whatever Star is Born was in 2018. Yeah. When I say big movies, I'm really talking about like what could have an impact on my top 10 list. Uh, I think Cyrano has a chance. That's one that's not been talked yeah, about. Yeah, I, I always forget about the, that one. And then I see that I've seen the trailer a couple times fairly recently and I'm like, yeah, I mean, this. Yeah, this this could definitely be something Joe Wright directing, you know, musical if it has good music. Peter Dinklage, I think, is a really interesting actor. So. um, So, yeah, I think I think that's a fun one. But really, the only thing I mean, it's crazy how many movies. Nightmare Alley. Right. Yeah. But then there's Nightmare Alley. There's um, there's King Richard, which we haven't seen, which is a huge player in the next week in the Oscar consideration. Um, There's. Less, I, you're not excited about this movie, but I mean, I think you can't deny the star power and don't look up as also a potential contender as well. Yeah, that's also a movie. Um, it's crazy because I would, I also came in recently. I was like, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to have much movement in my, like at the top right. of my list for the rest of the year. And then I'm like actually looking at the releases that I haven't seen. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there's quite a few left. There's also yeah, the I Matrix mean, movie. It could be. The only th- a reinvention of the genre again. I mean, you never know. The only thing on my brain right now is licorice pizza because the the reactions have been dropping and like I haven't seen anyone like give it less than four and a half stars on Letterboxd. I mean, David Ehrlich gave it together. gave it a full. He gave it. A, five. He, he had a five bagger on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that that's. I mean, again, I don't always agree with him, but he very rarely gives out five baggers. So, like the fact that he put five stars on it was um, 
with something like I, I can't. Yeah. The last movie I remember him putting five stars on was Little Women. There's probably been one since then, but he did put he did put five on Little Women. So yeah, because um, I know he put five on um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I think that that he saw that, that as, he saw that way earlier than than yeah. he saw Little Women. I'm pretty sure. And I mean, Licorice Pizza just seems like so much my kind of movie. Like this is just like sure. a pure scott harvey movie it seems like and i've seen people saying if you want paul thomas anderson to make more movies like boogie nights this is for you i mean that's my favorite pta movie um coming of age story sounds everyone has been really really complimentary of alana heim's performance so yeah i'm I'm, it's the one trailer i get more excited for when i you know like the more i see it where it's it's the anti-eternals trailer like the eternals trailer had gotten to the point where like when as soon as you saw salma hike riding in on that horse it was like oh here we go um but as soon as you hear the first notes of david bowie's life on mars for the licorice pizza trailer i'm just like let's go for 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 a kid who who grew up in the knots uh, you have a strange nostalgia for 60s and 70s Hollywood that isn't quite applicable. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the music does play a large role in it because yeah. I do think that the era, that era of music is just so good. Again, like the the David Bowie song in that trailer is one of the like big things that makes it for me. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just my love of movies or something about it. But but now now that you mentioned trailers, Scott, before I have I'm sorry. I messaged no, yeah, you. Go for it. I just I got to talk about trailers. Trailers are horrible in the year 2021 we have to stop like this is my passionate plea that will eventually become a dispassionate plea that we just like have to stop what we're doing with trailers they did it for belfast they ruined some of the best scenes in belfast by showing them to you in the trailer they just didn't have the same hit they didn't hit different in the movie yeah yeah i see belfast is one like i just don't remember the trailer too much i mean i definitely saw it a few times but like you know, the trailers, I guess that certain moments from the trailers just aren't sticking in my brain as much as they are for you. But like, I, I yeah. hear you like I totally understand if you pay. I mean, if you pay a close attention to these trailers, you know, then there are certain moments in the movies that are probably going to be. I, I swear to God, diminished. like 75 percent of movies that have had trailers this year have had moments and scenes in the trailers that just they have no business being in those trailers. You just can't you can't put these scenes in the trailers, guys. You can't stop doing Ikea. I mean, that's the best example right there. Well, like, what's imagine, crazy? Yeah, it's like that. Scott, disagree with you if you want to hear, but like on first hearing that, that is it. That is a good joke. That is like an actually funny joke. No, Scott's disagreeing. I think it's a funny joke when you hear it the first time. Some people were pointing out that like IKEA doesn't even really have seasonal collections. Like that's just not even. But who really cares, Scott? That's not the point of the joke. <laughs> <laughs> You're overanalyzing the joke that much. I think you you missed it. You missed the joke. I, I I wasn't saying that. I was just. I know. I know. Some, I, know I know. I know you were. I saw, yeah. But like there's this as of time of recording, there's another Spider-Man trailer tomorrow, which I know you're just like so off the the Marvel train at this point. I totally I think that's totally fair. I'm indifferent and I, I'm not watching. I'm not watching any more trailers for this year, Scott. I'm not doing it. I'm not clicking on trailer links. I'm going to the theater as late as I can to still feel like I can get there on time. That way I'm only I'm literally only going to see like Marvel trailers and Morbius trailers. Yeah. That's like all I'm going to see <laughs> before movies at this point. Who are you? I'm Venom. Just kidding. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, Whatever so the I, line that's that, in the new that actually so I saw this trailer. I saw that trailer this weekend. I did too. Yeah. Um for the first time. And I, I I know that like that joke had been going around on on Twitter and I think we'd even talked about how it's like unbelievable this is an actual joke in the movie. And I I was just I was totally in, in awe of what I of what I saw and heard come out of J. 
Jared Leto's mouth, which I guess this isn't the first time that's ever happened. But speaking of Jared Leto, another movie we forgot to mention there in the uh, the intro is Father Son House of Gucci. Yeah. So. Although Scott, I mean, uh, that movie's that movie's I think I think that movie's like something like two hundred and seventy two minutes long or something. I, it's unconfirmed. <laughs> it could even be twice that. Who even knows? I'm just hoping that they really lean in and that it's like a camp classic. That's that, I feel like that's the only way I'm going to enjoy it. But we'll it's, it's got to be right. Like Lady Gaga, it's got to like, be full camp in that. In again, in it's trailer. such a missed opportunity if 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 not. But um, yeah, I mean, I you know. got Al Pacino in there. Come on. I mean, Ridley Ridley probably takes himself too seriously, so maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. The last duel. I mean, it, it's pretty silly to put Ben Affleck with his goatee and everything, and that. Like, I think he was having some fun with that for sure. It's not campy though. Is it? I wouldn't describe that as campy. Eh, maybe a little. Yeah, um, I don't know. Anyway, but is, is that our Thanksgiving movie, well, Scott? Are we going to see? Are you free on Friday next yeah, week? Are we going to see House of Gucci? It's not going to be Licorice Pizza now, so I guess yeah. I guess it will. Are we? Will. Are we pressing full send on a hundred sixty pluser on Friday? It'll. Be, I think it'll be. Uh, it'll be better if we're together. That's what I'm going to tell myself. It won't be worse. It won't be worse. It won't be worse. Together. It won't be worse. <laughs> Sure. All right, Scott. Well, we've got four movies to get to, so we might as well get into it. Um, sure. And the first movie, Scott, that I want us to talk about, and really I want you to talk about it, because I actually talked about it a couple of weeks ago on our Last Night in Soho episode, because I had seen it at the Virginia Film Festival. It was the one movie that I saw there that you had not seen, um, and you have now seen it. That is Spencer, yeah, uh, Pablo Lorraine's uh, film about Princess Diana, this one particular period you know three days in the early 90s um around christmas time um in the life of princess diana when she is you know with the royal family celebrating the holidays at this uh this castle Kristen stewart getting a lot of oscar buzz for her role as princess uh diana in the film scott i you know like i said i gave my thoughts there were a lot of things i liked about it i wasn't a huge fan of the script that kind of held it back from greatness for me what did you think about spencer having seen it now yeah i, I think it's pretty similar views to you on the whole i think i think i might be a little bit cooler on the Kristen stewart performance i think it's really strong and i'll, I'll actually need to like sit down and look at all of the perform like all the big you know lead actress performances this year to decide if i think that you know where she sits in that it, you, maybe she's in the conversation maybe she is near the top I, I haven't really thought sat down and thought about that very much i wasn't as wowed by it i think part of that really is that i've watched the crown in the last year like you know there's been a lot of royal family content and just in the last four or five years six years thanks to the crown and i do think that that the performance in the crown by emma corrin who does who plays diana might be honestly kind of preferred for me. I think there's something about the childish charm that Kristen Stewart doesn't really bring to the performance in this because it's such, it's so fixated on three days in the early, you know, 1991. I think it, I think it is that people say, it doesn't actually say, I don't think it says it. I, I just think it's kind of implied mm -hmm. that it's, that it's around that time period. Because they're um, not actually real events, obviously that we're seeing. It's a, fable based on a true story is kind of what it says like, yeah and, and you're sort of you're sort of set you're setting me up perfectly so because that's what i'm going to talk about like i did like the movie i think it's very arresting as a psychological drama in a lot of ways but i i found oddly enough like individual parts like not super compelling and i think that part of that for me was this notion of princess diana is someone who a lot is talked about a lot is speculated about i mean there's like i mean like one of the 
I don't want to say OG, but like one of one of the main <clears throat> conspiracy theories that exist in like pop culture today is like how did like was the royal family responsible for killing Princess Diana? Like obviously the, this movie has nothing to do with that uh, whatsoever. But I just think that when you create these stories about larger than life characters of which there is like already a lot of stories about, I just find it a little bit of a disconnect for me personally. And I, and I find it, I, I it's not that there's, I have individual issues with things like whether be, whether they be true or false in the movie, because of course movies have artistic license to be fiction, like uh, absolutely all the time. But I do think that it, it, it just sort of like when you're acknowledging that and when you're saying that about this particular person, I, it kind of just snapped, like kind of just snapped me out of the movie almost immediately and sort of took me out of it. And then it, I, it, I came back to that over the course of the film and you have these different plot beats. I mean, I think the general sentiment of what Diana was feeling about being trapped in the royal family, like certain, I don't think that's like almost, that's almost indisputably true. So I don't think that it's a line in that sense. But yeah, the individual events, who who really knows how much of that is true? I guess only maybe maybe only Stephen Knight really knows the answer to that question. But yeah, I think Pablo Lorraine does a really good job of ratcheting up like the psychological tension. I think he does a pretty good job. I think Kristen Stewart does a good job. But some something about it, I guess, just didn't really add up to the sum of its parts to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was a little bit... I, I was just whelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed by the experience. I don't want to say I was underwhelmed, but I, I wasn't quite all the way in the bag. I will say I started listening to the Ringers episode about Spencer, um, and I was just in stitches as soon as um, as soon as Amanda Dobbins said <laughs> that she was bored watching the movie. I was like, royal movie consumer-in-chief over here. Saying, I know, yeah. Saying that she was bored by the movie. I was like, oh, man. wasn't expecting this. Yeah. Um... I see. I like this approach to a biopic. Like I, I like that it is something different, you know, for for a biopic that we're not even going to be concerned about telling the real events that happened. Because like, I feel like that's where biopics recently have gotten into trouble. Is they're just kind of like Wikipedia entries, right? Um, and I like that they try to act, like actually put some artistry on it. Like you said, it's more. It's like a it's psychological like it's like a ghost story at times um because there's yeah, this where diana is the ghost yeah well yeah but yeah. then anne boleyn is popping up and stuff like that but it's, um, is it isn't that kristen stewart isn't kristen stewart playing anne boleyn oh i didn't notice that you might be right um, oh, she definitely isn't one of the scenes looks exactly like her um okay i don't well, know if... yeah i'm sure that was intentional but um yeah. so i like that like it's more about we're going to we're going to try to be authentic to the feelings that this person probably had and less yeah. of the actual events and things like that. We're going to, you know, we're going to kind of craft the events on our own, you know, around these emotions. And I, I like that approach to a biopic more than I like the watered down approach that we've seen in some biopics. So I hear what you're saying. I, I like this sort of different take on it, but I also haven't watched The Crown. So that, you know, that's a, a factor in it as well. Um, yeah, and I will say some of some of the subplots also. The again, Sally Hawkins no, stuff did not really work for me. Some people, I was like reading some reviews, and some people were just like so on board with like Sally Hawkins in this movie, and I'm like, I guess Sally Hawkins is good in the movie, but I just found that like, is it, that might even be the truest part of the whole movie? Who even knows? But like, I just found it like so incredulous, like such a weird, a weird moment uh, to sort of like you know, the essentially the penultimate moment in the movie, you know, before Kristen Stewart walks out in front of all the all of the men hunting and, and takes the kids back to 
to London, or I guess it's not what, Kensington, where London, wherever they ended up going afterwards. Um, but it's yeah, like I, I don't know. It was sort of a weird sort of penultimate moment of the film. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, the KFC run and everything was pretty was chaotic, fun. but uh, it it was fun. It was just yeah. like there's just some weird like anachronistic moments like that uh, sure. in the movie, like. There's a line also that Diana has to one of her aides. I'm not going to spoil it, but she said something to one of her aides when she wants her aide to like leave the room. That is kind of like out of nowhere, like kind of sh a shocking sort of crude line a little bit. But Scott, I, I didn't even I didn't mention this at the time because it involves some spoilers. But yeah, there was a lady in my theater for this at the Virginia Film Festival before the movie was like, I don't think I'm going to like this because it's going to be pro Diana. So um, I still can't get over that. And I don't even think the, the film is that pro Diana, to be honest, but personally but i i uh i put it i i you know put it aside i was like whatever but then she starts doing it during the movie like there's a scene where diana cuts herself um and like cuts her arm and she goes she's a nut and then later in the movie when diana there's a climactic moment where she breaks a possession of hers yeah and the woman just goes stupid when it happened. And I was oh like, my God, good Lord, have some empathy woman. Um, oh man, <laughs> that's not it. That's not, yeah. It. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was just very strange. And she was just like kind of disgusted at the end of it. And I heard someone ask her like, so why did you even come to see this? And she was like, um, well, everybody else wanted to see it. Like she was with a big group, I think. So, but I, I, I asked the same question because it was very clear what type of movie it was going to be. But anyway, I still like the movie. Yeah. Um, I liked I it Kristen's too. I liked it. Really good. Yeah. I didn't love it. I did love Johnny Greenwood though. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't even mention that. But Johnny Greenwood's score is exceptional. Um, is he going to get double nominated is. this year, Scott? Is it going to happen? I don't know. This could be the one that he finally wins for, though. So we'll see. But I don't know. Is this or Power of the Dog better? Well, I wouldn't know, would I? Um, yeah, questions you have to ask yourself in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, all right, Scott. Well, let's. I guess we should put a score on it. Let's put a score on it. Uh, oh, what do you want to give Spencer? Uh, seven point five. I hadn't really thought about it either, but uh, I'll give it a seven point nine. I'll give it a seven point nine. It's a strong. Purely movie. benchmarking off mine, I'm like, well, I liked it a little bit more than Scott. So I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did, but uh, I like the movie a lot. Um, it just a little bit short of greatness for me, but I think Pablo Lorraine's direction is also really strong in the movie. I think, um, again, the way that he frames certain shots, I'm not going to recite all the points I made before, but, um, how is he going to, how is he going to finish his biopic trilogy? Who's he doing next? Scott? Who do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I saw some people speculating. Some people said Britney Spears, which I was like, let's go. Uh, Samara weaving as Britney Spears. Let's do it. I'm ready. Not Annie Taylor joy. Okay. No, she's in everything. Can't have it all. Uh, she's in everything right now. So, well, if you want to see Samara Weaving, Scott, I'll, you can go watch. We'll, uh... we'll give her some time off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, get get her out there into the middle of the African desert to film Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's she's gonna be doing a lot of other things. Not really time off, but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. not new projects. I guess. Well, Scott, if you if you really want to see Samara Weaving do more stuff, you can always go see the GI Joe movie from earlier this year. There was a GI Joe movie, and I, I know there was. Snake but eyes. It, I mean, it just doesn't even seem like that was a real movie. Um, that was a real movie that I but, that I really did see in a real IMAX theater, and I really did wonder why afterwards. 
Yeah. Well, I wonder why you do some of the things. You also saw Red Notice, a fake movie in theater. So um, you have so much animosity and and disdain for this movie. I I don't know what it did to you, Scott. I, it is I, just I, you messaged you, you so sent a message earlier today, and I was like, I don't understand why you're so upset about this film. I'm upset because it is so much money for nothing. It is, and not that movie is just a colossal waste of money. And Netflix, you know, just has this like, oh, here this is our most watched movie of all time or whatever. It's all just so cynical. I don't know. Like, I don't know a better word for it than that, but it's just like ridiculous. I don't know, man. I just think that's a little bit out of touch. Like I, people have watched Red Notice and enjoyed Red Notice. I don't, I don't know that. I, I guess I don't know. I mean, I didn't enjoy it and I don't think that you'd enjoy it, but that doesn't mean people that, that it isn't something that people don't enjoy it. I just don't want that to become movies. Um, I guess that's what I'm really saying. I mean, that's just one kind of movie, but there's movies are for everyone, man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. But again, when Netflix is saying, like, this is the most watched movie we've ever made, these are the types of movies that are going to get made more than other movies that I would rather see. Well, sure. But also this movie's like, your movies are not going to stop being made because Red Notice exists. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right about that. I hope you're right. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, probably wouldn't, being a little wouldn't bit Wouldn't you rather Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, and The Rock do these movies rather than movies that you might actually care about? <laughs> Like, like, I don't know. Like, that's how I would think about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want them in the stuff that I want. I mean, I, yeah, I would much rather Ryan Reynolds do Free Guy than in stuff I actually want to see. Um, so I, I guess that's I guess there's a point there. But um, talk about keeping someone busy. Anyway, we're not reviewing Red Notice, Scott. But I mean, I'm happy talking, to go there if you want to. I'm happy to review it. While we're talking about Netflix, let's talk about a different Netflix movie. All right. Let's talk oh, man, about this movie. The harder they fall. Hell yeah. Um, let's do it. <laughs> this is a uh, a western from uh, director James, first time director James Samuel, um, and it is a, it is a black western based actually on um, a lot of real kind of like uh, Spencer. Weirdly, in a way, uh, the people in this movie are real. Um, a lot of them are you know notorious black outlaws, but the story that it envisions is is fictionalized, and and the movie kind of makes that clear from the beginning. They say you know this story is is fictional, but uh, these people were real. These people existed, I believe yeah. is how they, they phrase it. Um, but uh, it's basically the story of this uh, this guy named Matt Love, who um, is when he's a, a child, his parents are brutally killed in front of his eyes um, by uh, this notorious outlaw. Uh, whose name is is escaping me at the moment, but is played by Rufus Buck. Selva in the movie. Rufus yeah, Buck. Rufus Buck. Um, and uh, you know, he basically he grows up. We skip ahead. He makes it uh, his mission in life. He's formed his own gang at this point, um, and he makes it in his mission, basically, um, to get revenge on Rufus Buck for what he did to his family. Um, the movie has a really stacked cast. Jonathan Majors plays Nat Love. I mentioned Idris Elba um, plays, you know, the villain character Rufus Buck. There's really three villains in the movie because Rufus has his gang of his own. Um, he has Regina King um as as one member you know one member Pretty. of his villainous troop and lakeith stanfield is the other one and then sort of on the other side of the law you have um you have nat love like i said you have jonathan majors you have his love interest who's mary is played by zazie beats you have um delroy lindo who plays this like federal marshal basically um who's sort of you know this like grandfatherly figure in this whole thing um but it's an all-star cast it's a very stylish tarantino-esque film at times um scott 
I don't. I, yeah, I know you've been dying to talk about this movie, so sure. I'll let you go first. Let it out there. What do you think about the harder they fall? I loved this film, Scott. You know, I thought that I was going to like it. I mean, I am. I am fully invested in all the stock of Jonathan Majors, Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beetz, etc. Like I am. I am full send on them and anything that looks interesting. And they didn't like none of those people disappointed in this movie. And none of the other people did either. Frankly, uh, I think pretty much everything about this movie is really good, even to the point where, you know, you're getting to the end of the movie and it, and it's, it, it, there's this, you know, this expository scene where you think that the villain, you know, Rufus Buck played by Idris Elba is going to explain why he did all the bad things. And I'm like, here, I'm like, all right, this isn't really what I came but what I've really enjoyed so far about this movie the most that, you know, we got to explain why he's not the super one dimensional bad guy. And then the explanation was actually really good. I was like, Oh man, they tied everything back together really well, actually. Um, and I was, I was just so pleasantly surprised. I, I do think it was a, it was a real treat to see this movie in 35 millimeter, like how it was shot at the Paris theater here in New York and Zazie, and then getting to hear a Q and a with Zazie beats afterwards. Uh, Perks living in New York, Scott. Feel free to move whenever you want up Flex. here. Um, oh yeah, it's that easy. <laughs> I mean, you could try. I don't know. I'm not saying you could do it, but you could try. Um, and yeah, it was really, it was a real treat to get to see that on the on the big screen with the with the sound and everything. Because this movie, I think, really takes advantage of those big set piece moments. I think there's two or three over the course of the film set pieces that really, really are. Um, well played out, fantastically contrived um, and executed. And just, yeah, all, you said it, all-star cast. I mean, everyone's really good in this. Uh, this is the movie that I've been showing to all my friends the past two weekends on, on Netflix as the thing to watch. I showed it to a couple friends last weekend, and then I watched it again this weekend with another with Jay, friend of the pod, um, who was a, was a big fan of it as well. But yeah, just so much to love about it. I think the performances um, are just really charismatic. Like these are really like these are people who just like really easily, I think, get you invested and engaged with what they're doing on, on both sides of the coin in this case. Um, and James Samuels, although he is a first time director, he is extremely, I think, well known for producing either producing or even directing music Jay-Z's, videos, Jay-Z's yeah. music videos. And Jay-Z is, an, is a producer on the film as well. So I, I think and he has he a has couple a, song original songs in the movie as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that he takes that experience in and styling and creatively sort of executing music videos and is able to set that on just frankly, a much bigger scale uh, with a feature length film whose runtime I was a little bit nervous about. That was the one thing I was a little bit nervous about going in because it is a, it's two hours and 20 minutes it's a little long it is yeah. um and i do th- and i do think that it runs a few minutes longer than it should probably at the end of the day but i was just having such a good time and i don't think they dwell too like with the exception of maybe the final the final showdown i don't think they dwell too long on any of the individual parts which i think is is a credit to it um i'm just such a huge fan of of this cast a huge fan of this film i think i've described it this to you and and Paul as this is like this year's book smart for me. This is, this is the movie that I just want to show all my friends who haven't seen it. Um, so yeah, it's just a real joy and I've, I've not gotten tired of it yet. Three times having seen it. Yeah. Uh, I loved it as well, Scott. Um, it's, I mean, it, it, 
Tar- there are a lot of films that have tried to copy Tarantino before, and I don't know. I just feel like this is, um, you know, one of the best examples that I can remember. I mean, it's right. definitely clearly influenced um, by him, but I don't know. Something about, you know, the all-black cast, um, I think, uh, adds a new dimension to it that, you know, I'll admit. I mean, Tarantino made Django Unchained, but, um, you know, it's still something completely different, I think, with with this movie and, you know... Um, I really enjoyed that unique aspect of it. And obviously all of the, you know, all the actors are great. I mean, if you're going to assemble an all black cast for a movie like this, it'd be harder to find a more stacked one to, yeah. to you know, get, I, I guess we were missing Daniel Kaluuya, maybe we're but, missing Kaluuya. Uh, we're probably missing Winston Duke. Uh, you yes. know, it's, it's a stellar cast of, of, uh, you know, some of the, the best African-American actors and actresses working right now. Th- and that yes, said, God, I, I did enjoy, I, I liked the smaller people in the movie too, which I don't know if that was about what you meant. Like I liked RJ, RJ Siler. Siler is great. Yeah. yeah. And the actress, I can't, I think her name is Danielle something. Um, Danielle Deadweiler. Yeah. I hadn't seen her in anything, but she was really solid. So yeah, I liked her as well, but yeah, the last 30 minutes of the movie was right up there with the last act of malignant for me in terms of like, hooting and hollering like wanted sure. to come out of my seat just watching again the the violence is so stylish and it's not afraid to be a little you know over the top and just do stuff that looks cool for the sake of looking cool and i really respect that um you know i, I like that he shows off a little bit and it's a lot of confidence right he shows off a lot of confidence for a first-time filmmaker and, and that's really cool um i think all the cast is really good as you would expect but keith stanfield continues to just kill it um yeah his like more quiet almost like pacifist villain um i think is a really interesting sort of counterpoint um and his final scene of the movie uh, i won't say too much more than that but his final scene in the movie um is is another one of the best scenes again it's part of that like last 30 minutes that i really enjoyed but um yeah he uh he knocks it out of the park again. I think everyone knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I think Jonathan Majors is really good. Zazie Beetz and Regina King have a drag knockdown drag out fight that um, is pretty epic. Um, it yeah, involves a, I don't, a pitchfork, I, an oar. There's so many so many utensils. Yeah, <laughs> pieces of equipment involved have, in that fight. A horseshoe. I don't have too much. I don't have too much more to say. It's just a really cool movie. Um, I agree. The runtime really flies by. Um, it's definitely I'm glad that this movie like, you know, got made because, again, it's it's bringing something different to the Western genre, um, which yeah. is, you know, there aren't there aren't many Westerns made anymore to begin with. Um, and there are sure. even fewer that exist with all black casts out there. And I think this movie is going to catch a lot of eyes on Netflix, hopefully. Um, and, you know, will hopefully be a calling card again for James Samuel, because I think he, you know, his style is something that is very kinetic and that I want more of in movies. So, um, and yeah, a I, sequel question mark. Yeah. I mean, at the end, it. this is the type of movie that I would like to see a sequel to. Uh, I mean, that is what they're teasing at the end, right? When they. When oh, they, yeah. A hundred percent. percent. I mean, Rufus spoilers. Seems like Rufus Buck is still alive at the end of the movie. So. Oh, oh, that's not who. No, 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 that wasn't Rufus Buck. That was uh, that was Regina King. Oh, I totally missed that. That was her hat. Yeah, at the end. Okay, okay. I assumed that was no. Him, Rufus but... very dead. <laughs> He's got about six shots in him. <laughs> I think. He does, but again, you can't ever assume anything in movies nowadays. So, um, 
I don't. I think everyone is dead that really looked dead in this movie. I don't because I don't think. See, that was the thing because at the end, I didn't actually think that Regina King was dead. Like at the end of the fight, like where they cut the scene, at least. Yeah, that that's that is true. Actually, um, it's yeah. Thinking back on it again, I've only seen it once now, so yeah, yeah. you're. You're probably right about that, but either way, I would like to see a sequel to this movie. Absolutely. This is the type of movie that I, you know, want a sequel to as opposed to the majority of movies that actually do get sequels. So, yeah. Um, and fun- funnily enough, actually, I I think that Trudy, who is Regina King's character, is the is the only person at, at least that doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Um, So is like the one who's like least founded in reality, I think, which is interesting if that's the direction they go with the sequel. But like, I mean, I'm absolutely here for a sequel. This thing was a hell of a time. Yeah, uh, it's definitely one of the most fun movies, like I said, up there with Malignant for me, uh, you know, uh, that I've watched this year. So it's right there on Netflix. You're you're absolutely doing yourself a disservice if you don't give this a a look, Um, whether this is your genre or not. It's just one of those movies that's just so entertaining. I don't know how you couldn't be swept away by it. I mean, Jonathan Majors has just so, so much charisma. I mean, the guy just oozes charisma. Yeah, and you know, uh, I contrasted this because, like, I watched this a day or two after Eternals, and I'm like, this movie actually knows what to do with its on- ensemble, right? It really, it really feels like everybody gets their due, whereas Eternals was just a big old mess where no one was interesting. Yeah. Suck that, jo- Chloe Zhao. Don't know how to make an ensemble movie. All right, Scott, let's put a score on it. What do you give? The harder they fall. Nine point two. Nine point oh for me. Uh, it's it's definitely. It, it, I think it is in my top ten for the year right now. I don't know if it's gonna gonna make it but it'll be close it's a it's an extremely entertaining movie um and yeah i just i want people to check it out look again looking at my list right now i feel like it's it's sneakily been a strong year at least at the top of not not even sneakily Um, scott incredibly strong year incredibly strong year top top i'm looking at right now top 16 movies but absolute bangers yeah my list right now um yeah my, my my top 10 is is really good like I'm going to have to make some tough cuts like this. The stuff that is going to be just outside my top 10 is going to be really it's going to be really tough to not include that in a top 10. Um, I agree. So the cha- hey, Scott, all you have to ask yourself. Good. At the end of the day, in like two weeks time, the chaotic take, you just got to slip the harder they fall right above the power of the dog. Just slip it in there. Be like, take that. Prestige we'll Western. I don't know. I don't think I don't think that's going to be I don't think that's going to be me. But uh, but fair. Enough. Not with that attitude. Um, be. Yeah, I, I say sneakily, I guess, because I feel like I don't know. Again, a lot, there's there have been definitely been some pretty big disappointments this year. And like just a lot of the big blockbusters and stuff haven't delivered. But I guess those really aren't the movies that are, are normally at, at the top of our lists anyway, at least my list. So, um, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that they are right. Like. What's the biggest? I mean, Avengers Endgame for me, Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah. Like, those are the only blockbusters, like real true blockbusters in the past years. I mean, Dune is is certainly sure. near, the, near the top of my list in terms of big blockbusters. But other than that, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm an awardsy sucker, I guess. I don't go for the blockbusters. I don't go for the popular movies, I got most of the time. Although I like popular movies quite a bit. Yes, uh, this is true. I. Yeah, again, I, I guess I'm just thinking about like, you know, something like Last Night in Soho, which was a little bit of a disappointment. Is that a blockbuster? Big, disappoint, big disappointment. No, I'm not talking really about blockbusters even at this point. Uh, okay. But 
in terms of just other stuff. Why, reasons why I might be tricked into feeling like it was a bad year. Even something like Candyman, right, which I think could have been something really strong and just kind of was there. Um, and there's other examples I'm forgetting, too. But um, all right, Scott, I think we can move on to. Uh, I, I will say it was a it was a very mediocre at best summer. In terms of movie output, which I think is. Yeah, why maybe I'm, maybe like I'm a, thinking a lot about the summer where yeah. there were some there were some tough, tough streaks in there, I feel like. Because I'm looking at I'm looking at my list and I'm trying to see. I don't think I have any movie from the summer in my top 15. Maybe one. I have two summer movies in my top 20 right now. So, yeah, I only have it, it. It's like it's a little vague at what to call a summer movie, but I don't have any more than three on mine in, the, in my top 20 right now. So summer summer definitely stops with September. Anything after September, definitely not a summer movie. Yeah. Well, maybe I have like four, but still, um, they're not really the big ones that you think of when you think of um, another film. Let's talk about Wes Anderson's uh, latest movie, The French sure. Dispatch. All right. Um this is one you saw when it came out, like if it's limited release and then, um, yeah, it's a, why a Wes Anderson movie has a limited release. We, we can talk about that if you want to, but yeah, really, really weird. Cause he has a built in audience. Um, unlike most movies that get limited releases, but, um, so you saw this a few weeks before I did Scott, but, um, this is the story of this sort of, uh, French newspaper, American newspaper, like in in France uh, during the war, basically. We'll just call um, it the New Yorkers, like foreign correspondents. <laughs> exactly. Know, like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Bill Murray plays the editor of the newspaper, Arthur Howitzer. Um, and this the film is basically an anthology type movie. Um, it opens up and it says uh, this movie is an obituary, a travel guide and three stories. And that's basically what you see. Sort of the concept is that. The loose the loose thread is that Bill Murray is like basically asking the uh, his his writers to put like their best stories together um, for a special issue. Um, and so the majority of the movie um, that you get is, uh, you know, these three individual stories that aren't really connected to each other, except in the sense that they're all being narrated by one of the journalists at the newspaper. Um, and then there is sort of, like I said, there is sort of this frame narrative going on with Bill Murray sort of engaging with each of them, trying to get them to um, to give their best story. But you have, I mean, the journalists telling the stories are Tilda Swinton, um, tells the first story. The second is Francis McDormand. And the third is told by Jeffrey Wright. And, you know, there again, there's the, there are these sort of individual stories. The first one that Tilda Swinton tells is about um, this painting uh this art collection really that um she's explaining the origin of and how it ended up at the place that it has ended up she's like a curator type person for this collection as well um benicio del toro plays the painter who's in prison for most of the story and adrian brody is the sort of art buyer who is commissioning Ignacio. his pieces yeah um and lea sedu plays the the prison guard who is kind of his muse um, so the second story is sort of about these student rebellions that are going on with Timothy Chalamet playing this character. He's kind of the, at the center of all of them named Zeffirelli and Francis McDormand, again, is the journalist that he sort of ends up having this complicated relationship with. And then the third, in the third story, Jeffrey Wright plays, um, this food journalist basically who gets caught up in the story of this 
big wig guy whose son gets kidnapped, basically. Um, and so there are all these individual, you know, stories that are loosely tied together. Like I said, long description because there's a lot to it. But um, Scott, what did you think about uh, this latest movie from Wes Anderson? Some are calling it the most Wes Anderson-y movie he's ever made, which is saying something because all of his movies are very much him. Um, but what did were you were you charmed by it? Yeah, I was definitely charmed by it. I, absolutely. I think talk about ensemble films with, you know, <laughs> we've already talked about today with the heart of they fall. I mean, this is even in like the truest sense. This is even like probably the most the most uh, <laughs> ensemble film you could imagine. I mean, there's like 30 actors in this or something like that. Something crazy. Um, and I mean, yeah, people pop up for like 10 seconds. Like Jason Schwartzman and Edward Norton are in the movie for like less than a minute sir sharonin is in it for like two minutes um yeah. he's just, just you know yeah he, yeah they're just Christoph waltz is in this thing for like yeah a hot, a hot mm -hmm. second um henry winkler is in the first i mean just like hilarious yeah henry winkler yeah. and bob balaban play the uncles of, yeah. uh, of uncle Nick and uncle characters yeah, yeah which are they're hilarious yeah so i was like absolutely charmed by this i, I wasn't sort of floored by this. I think most people have not been sort of knocked off their feet by this. I think as with a lot of anthology movies, I think your mileage can vary pretty dramatically story to story. You know, the real trick is, is getting this sort of level, this level set across all three to maintain a sort of rhythm and pace. I, I do think the second story is, is the weak point of the, I guess I should say third story because we, you have conveniently left out Owen Wilson's tour event. Anyway, the travel guide, yeah, the travel that guide, was yeah. What I refer to it as the travel yeah. guide, but yeah, yeah. But you know, the second main story here, talking about the the student revolutions and the manifesto. I think the point of the story is like talking about like this manifesto that they're writing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that every like there's not a bad performance in there. I just I wasn't as enamored with that particular story. The whole dynamic of Francis McDormand and Timothy Chalamet didn't work for me super well. I mean, I don't know. It, it might not be supposed to work for it. Like that might be the point. Um, I just found it kind of weird. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing to write home about for me in that story, but I really enjoyed the other two. I really did. I enjoyed uh, my third Leia Sidhu movie in like the span of a month. And uh, I just found it. I found it absolutely hilarious. Um, uh, the, when you find out the backstory of, Benicia del Toro not actually being this like famous artist is he or, or I, I this was what was confusing to me he, no he's is really Tony Revloy a... young Benicia del Toro or are they yes. different people no I think he's supposed to be young Benicia del Toro okay but well. he's really not famous like basically Adrian Brody just sees one of this guy's paintings and yeah. like hanging up in the prison like they basically just put it up there in the prison just like oh hey look at what this guy in the prison yeah, painted yeah. and then Adrian Brody stumbles into it and is like oh this is incredible and then yeah. ends up like commissioning all these pieces and to me this is people, basically that they're it's so funny that he then like does it on the walls <laughs> he can't actually take yeah. it out of the prison oh my god that was that was so it's genius funny. Adrian yeah. Brody is I'm having a full like unbelievable in this Adrian story. Brody renaissance right now because he just had this absolutely unbelievable guest appearance in succession where he's like full vibes, um, which was just hilarious. But yeah, so yeah. Brody's having a good month in my book. 
Yeah, he's. Oh, I was just gonna say he's doing like very similar. I feel like to the vibe of his Grand Budapest character, but sure. like he's his Grand Budapest character is not as much in the movie as this one. I mean, he they just completely let him cut loose in this movie, uh, and I think he's one of the actors out of all of this ensemble. I mean, Wes always works with you know the same actors, but he out of all of these people, he's one of the best suited. I think to you know Wes's style, just like that, like very ser- self serious, like caustic wit that he brings to this character is just like so on point. I was just like, by the end, I was just practically just cackling at every single line. That he sure. Had. Yeah. But then my favorite story, and I'm glad that it sort of finished on this. Is that, is that third, uh, is that third vignette? I don't know. We're calling them vignettes anthology short stories. I don't know. Sure. Um, it's a vignette. Jeffrey Wright, really probably the best performance uh, of them all up there with Adrian Brody for me, if not a little bit better. Um, and just really fantastic story. The most as much as there's like a comedy of the first one and maybe there's some sort of like weird melodrama in the second one. This one to me is like the sort of reflectionary thematic drama that is going to like tie up the movie and and segue you into this like sort of sad end note of the obituary. And I think it does it really well. Um, I really like I can I, I, only because we did this our Bond podcast uh, series earlier this year, like the fact that Matthew, Matthew Almerick. Amalric is in this. Um, who yeah. I know is a West. Who is a West regular? I know that he's a West regular, but it was just so funny to see him as the police commissioner in this to me. But yeah, I love Jeffrey Wright, who I think really puts this final short film on his back. It's mostly him. Um, yeah, Ed Norton makes an appearance for sure. Willem Dafoe, Liev Schreiber is interviewing him at the beginning and the end. But yeah, I, I found Jeffrey Wright to be the most affecting of the performances, if that's the right way to put it. Um, so overall, French Dispatch, a little uneven for me, but incredibly Wes, pretty charming for the most part, and a few really strong performances. You know, you said that most people probably haven't really been blown away by French Dispatch, and I think you're right about that. Um, I was blown away by the movie. Um, you know, I'm kind of like, I, I say that I'm hot and cold on Wes Anderson, but Recently, I pretty much loved everything that he's done going back to to Moonrise Kingdom. I think that's when it really started it for me. I think he's become a little bit of a softie in his old age. Um, and I think that's why I like like these movies more than I do, you know, the early stuff like the Rushmores and the Royal Tenenbaums, which are more cold to the touch, I guess. The characters are not as likable as they are in uh, in you know, the recent films for sure. Um, I've only seen Wes yeah. since Moonrise Kingdom. So I, I only have that uh, reference point for Wes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that the second story is the weakest part of the movie. I do agree. Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I was completely transported by it. I think I actually like the first story the most. Um, it's just so fun and it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it is the most fun of the story yeah i think he's he's you know firing on all cylinders comedically um in this movie and i think maybe some of the good vibes from that first story just carried over into the second one and maybe smoothed over some of the cracks a little bit i do like parts of that second story i think the whole chess game that is going on is very well suited to wes's aesthetic right like because you have their uh, playing chess like the students are playing chess in like the square and somebody makes a move and then you know this person reports it to this person and this person reports it to this person and then it goes back to like the you know leader or whatever and he makes a move and it's you the, know the game of again, telephone is so wes anderson yeah it's 100%. yeah it's perfectly suited yeah. to his like symmetrical um you know tendencies but 
the movie is really like the way that it's written is very literary, which you'd expect for a movie about like, I mean, you know, essentially what we're hearing is these people narrating sort of the stories that they are writing. So you would expect it to have that verbosity to it, but I appreciate how verbose intellectual the dialogue is and how skillful all of the actors are at performing you know the dialogue in a pretty fast-paced manner honestly when there are some you know big complicated unnatural words in there um i think they really give it a nice cadence in all of the stories um adrian brody like we said amazing comedic performance i mean again just firing on all cylinders like i said um jeffrey wright i think is the other standout performance in the movie probably he has like this like professorial quality about him that i think is well suited to this character and well suited to a west movie in general and i mean especially this type of movie right again where he, he's like narrating the story he's the journalist like you could just listen to him like reading the west dialogue for like an entire movie um or just it, listening it, to him read a book i don't know yeah that's basically what what I mean, that's, is yeah that's Marvel basically what he's doing show. like yeah. yeah um and, and he's he's really lovely in the movie like all the character all of the stories have emotional moments that really landed for me i i don't i don't agree at all with the people who are saying there's no emotion in the movie like they, they weren't emotionally connecting to the movie um i think that the i, I whole... also think that like the emotional connection you feel in a wes anderson movie at least the ones that i've seen so like moonrise kingdom later like i think it's a very particular flavor of emotion and I don't think that that's inconsistent with what you get here. I think I think it is the part of the Wes Anderson vibe is this like connection to the film that's not I don't know it's not your typical fare, right? It has a different flavor and yeah. spin, and I think that's just very present in this movie too. If you don't connect with that, you don't connect with that. Whatever, but like I don't I don't know how you could complain any more about this movie than any of his other yeah you know last three. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's like a little monologue that Timothy Chalamet has, like a particular thing he adds to the manifesto that mm -hmm. he has a little segment where he reads that um, that I thought is, you know, pretty profound. I think maybe the strongest emotional scenes come at the end when this uh, this chef Nescafe um, has a little like deathbed monologue, basically, to Jeffrey Wright's character. And Jeffrey Wright like cuts it from the story and. Um, is you know he's like oh it's, it was too sad and Bill Murray's like it's the best part of the whole thing, um, which I, I like that sentiment. Um, and the ending of the movie was was surprisingly touching. I, I know the frame narrative didn't work as well for you, Scott, as it did for me. And I, I'm not gonna say that like everything about it worked again, but at the end I was surprised how well it all came together and something about all these people in the room at the end. I don't want to say too much more than that, but all these people in the room at the end was was affecting to me especially the you know the meta layer of these are all actors who are wes anderson you know regulars and there's a sort of bond there between between them and the the way that they're um you know all together at the end in the particular context that they are together um i do i do think was effective um i think visually as with any wes anderson movie it's beautiful to look at i i think he does some really cool stuff like there's animation um that he throws in at, diff at different ports parts of the movie which looks very uh beautiful but it's not like super jarring or anything like that like i always felt like I just one part though decision. right isn't it just one part in the third in the I third think story there were a couple parts weren't there i don't what were the other parts 
I don't know. I just feel like there were like some briefer moments maybe where he, um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I really do want to see the movie again there. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in the movie. Like it's just, you know, because it is moving so fast, fast, the dialogue is um, so verbose, but um, yeah, I thought, I thought there was at least one other second, but yeah, definitely there's this whole like chase action sequence kind of in the third act that um, is, is all done through animation that I thought, worked really well it, it it's a great time I, like i i absolutely was blown away by the movie i was not expecting it to, to love it as much as i i did i thought it would be a you know a good movie i would i would definitely like it um, because i am on a, a roll with wes here but i think this is probably you know upon revisit this could jump to my number one um wes anderson movie it could even jump moonrise but it's really high on the list it's a it's a major work for me i think like because of what it's, you know, it it's interrogating storytelling and like the process of, of telling a story. Um, it, it almost does feel like his magnum opus in a way. Like, again, I, I understand why people are saying it's the most Wes Anderson-y Wes Anderson movie, because I think he is kind of processing the way that he tells stories maybe throughout the, the course of the movie. So um, I appreciated maybe some of the meta stuff that's going on as well. I think it's a, a, a fantastic movie. I, I, you know, if you don't like Wes Anderson, you're not going to like it. Um, but you probably wouldn't be interested in seeing it anyway. Um, but even if you're not like the world's biggest Wes fan, like me, um, if you, you know, if you like some of his movies, maybe even love one or two, but you're not like, you know, worship at his altar. Um, I still think you might find, find a lot to love here. I, I think it's hard to find, not to find a lot to love here because it, it's, it's a, it's a very lovingly crafted and, you know, smart movie. So I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this one. It's one of my favorites of the year for sure. A little narcissistic, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I do struggle with a little bit with how to interpret the Bill Murray character. Um, you know, is this supposed to be Wes Anderson? Is it supposed to be like an I, I editor that, that he has had? Yeah, yeah. I, I hope I like, hope not, because if, if he is, if that is that that does like that's really sours the, the movie for me, if it is supposed to be him. I kind of I kind of more interpret it as this like alter of like the kind of journalist that Wes like looked up to as a kid because like he wanted to be a journalist before he started yeah. making movies. Um, I hope that it's not meant to be him. See, I, I didn't read much of like the meta the the meta textual narrative that you're talking about. Like I didn't read that much into it. I just thought he was just like really paying homage to a medium that he thinks is dying. And yeah, but to your point, that I think that has informed a lot of his decision to become a filmmaker and to tell the types of stories that he tells me. But I don't think, I guess I don't view it as like self promoting in a way, in the narcissistic way that I feel like you, you've described. Yeah. I, I, again, I struggle with whether he or is supposed to be the Bill Murray. I mean, I think that's where the narcissistic part of it would come in. Um, well, if he thinks that he's like, I, I guess even more abstract than that. Like if he thinks that like his version of storytelling and how great, like how great he thinks of himself is this news is this like newspaper or this uh this magazine or this periodical then i think that's another element to it as well but i again i didn't read that but that sounds like what you were reading into it on a first watch um sure. and and i i don't i don't have a, a, as much of a problem with it but um i do i definitely i do want to see the movie again for sure um because sure. there's there's a lot there and i think you know 
part of it on a first watch for sure is just trying to figure out what all is going on and processing everything because you know visually and in the dialogue there like i said there's a lot going on it's a wes anderson movie maybe maybe more so than ever there is a lot more to unpack but um, yeah i mean also to clarify the that last scene in the in the last story because i thought that was a good moment too it's mm. not just that he reinserted a segment talking to Nescafe. Nescafe. It's that it's about, it's the one part of the article that's actually about food because he's talking about the taste of the poison yeah. when he was eating it it's, or whatever. It's like an Anton Ego moment almost from Ratatouille. Yeah, yeah. except that Nescafe doesn't die though. He's not like dying. He's actually recovering. I don't think he dies. Is he? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think I, it's implied that he like survived being A little bit how to interpret recovering. that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. possible. Um, but yeah, he... he he eats the poison basically that he well I to prove that it's not poisoned he eats it. yes yes yeah. um i don't want to spoil it but um yeah just lovely movie um yeah. what do you give this movie out of 10 7.6 i enjoyed it quite a bit it's a 9.5 for me like i said one of my favorites of the year um not a perfect movie but um one of the movies i've enjoyed have personally enjoyed the most um despite you know some segments that may be stronger than others. I just think that's inevitable in a movie like this. And even the weaker segments had plenty of moments for me. So uh, big fan. All right, Scott, our last movie, we talked about it a little bit in the intro uh, Belfast. This is uh, another movie that's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. Um, it's directed by Kenneth Branagh. It is a autobiographical tale um, of his time growing up in Belfast during the troubles Um Jude Hill uh, is the young actor who plays the young Kenneth Branagh, uh, who goes by the name Buddy in the movie. Um, he lives with his brother and his mom and dad. His mom and dad are played by Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfey. Um, his grandparents are also a big part of his life, uh, Judy Dench and Kieran Hines. Um, and it's just kind of a slice of life movie about him growing up at this tumultuous time in the country in Northern Ireland and his family. Um, particularly his parents, um, sort of torn between leaving Belfast to for the father to pursue a, a new job opportunity and also, you know, because of the political stuff that's going on, or staying in Belfast um, because of, you know, the sentimental um, value that this place has and all the memories that this place has provided for them over the years. Um, that's kind of the the central conflict of the movie. But again, it is a lot more about just sort just sort of a slice of life and really firmly told through the eyes of young Buddy played by Jude Hill. Scott, what did you think about Belfast? It talked about another movie that I just think is like really delightful in, in a different way than any of the other, lots of the other two like positive movies. I wouldn't say Spencer is a delight necessarily, but um. <laughs> it has delightful moments and we didn't talk about it, but real quick, since you brought it up, the scene again, the scene with that, him and uh, with her and her sons in the middle of the night, like on Christmas yeah, morning, that, that is true. That's one of my favorite yeah. scenes of the year. That's just lovely. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, talking about delight, like I, I just found Belfast to have this sort of earnest, open hearted, carefree but also not carefree and like a weird balance of those two things energy to it that jude hill i thought was like really immense at like sort of channeling um he is this 10 year old ish version of kenneth branna um in 1969 northern ireland during you know they, they are not on 
the receiving end necessarily of the violence directed towards the Catholic population of this particular street slash neighborhood that they live on in Belfast, but they are certainly exposed to that level of violence that is sort of being directed at their at their literal neighbors. Um, so yeah, and and the film starts out, you know, sort of scanning across sort of the Belfast skyline um, at the docks over the water. Um, flipping really, I, I thought like really beautifully into black and white as you sort of, as it sort of pans over this wall um, going into the neighborhood. And I felt like from that moment, I just sort of felt very dialed in um, to this movie, to these characters, to this family. I thought um, Katrina, Catriona, Balf Katrina, yeah. Balfi. I don't actually know how to Katrina say Balfi, I believe is how Katrina Balfi. Yeah. I, I thought she was like really, a really, you know, really spectacular um, in her role as, as, you know, just Ma. These are nameless characters except for Buddy, pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, just Ma and Pa and Granny and Pop. Um, you know, the family members here and his brother. His I, brother's name is Will or something, I think. Is that right? Or did I just imagine that? Possibly. Okay. I believe it. It's that not sounds right. That often, yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. He's not a significant character really whatsoever. Um, tells him to shut up a few times in the middle of the night, which I guess we. We all... But I think that's a that's probably a pointed decision, right? Because I think he wants this movie to be kind of a universal thing about well, that's the exactly places what I was we come say. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think there's a lot of a lot of comparisons to Roma about these sort of like black and white, auteur driven, semi autobiographical origin stories for these directors, and I think in some ways it is similar to that. But I I do think that the ultimate vibe of the movie, and I think. Kenneth Branagh's intentions, to your point, that's exactly where I wanted to go, is to sort of speak like to the universality and the particular, I guess, like taking this particular experience and and actually sort of anonymizing it almost in, in, in many ways and making it more universal to, you know, either to the, the Northern Irish experience, you know, living in Belfast, but also just sort of beyond that as well to people, to all people who lived in these types of neighborhoods and this particular type of sign with this particular type of like contextual history around it. And, and I just found it really, really, I guess earnest is the best way to describe it. Like it's a, it's a really great, like there's some really grave subject matter in this. There's like really violent civil unrest happening at the same time. You know, there's also this family drama playing out sort of around it that sort of influences you know, it, it does receive some influence from that civil unrest, but it, it feels like the kind of story that would be happening anyway, just because of the financial situation of the family. And I and I just found that even in spite of all of that context, there there was just a lot of sort of joy and benevolence in the film that you just that it just isn't present, I think, in many movies. And not that we need a ton of these types of movies, but it it was really refreshing after you know, months of these really, I don't know, <laughs> severe films that I feel like we've been watching either, you know, in in subject matter or in, in the, just the direness that you feel after watching them. I don't know. Um, I, it was just really refreshing. I thought the performances were really good. Jamie Dornan, who I've been up and down on, I think, over the years and the different things that I've seen him, I thought he was really good as Buddy's father. Uh, I thought Judy Dench was full me mind this thing for a little while. Um, but I did think that she reined it in pretty well, actually. And I think my least favorite scene in the entire movie is actually her last one. I think they could have just cut that from the, from the oh, film personally. 
her, when she's I, like whispering under her breath. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I like her scene when she talks about Shangri-La, Shangri-La with him on the bus after they've been to the movies was one yeah. of my favorite moments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, th- th- there's like a call that like a similarity to Roma is that, you know, they go to a movie theater and they watch a movie. They have this big hug. They embracing. watch some banger. They watch some bangers in this uh, yeah. this movie. They watch uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance at one point. They did, yeah. They were watching High Noon, which I'm not as big of a fan of. But and yeah, then Belfast had it? the bangers in '69, I guess. I forget what they were what they went to see in the theater, but um, they saw Chitty Chitty Bang yeah. Bang in theater. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they, I, I perked up when they were watching The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. That was great on TV. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah, I just, I really, I enjoyed it. I think it, Brana is like, I, I'm not, I liked, but didn't love a lot of his more recent directorial outings. Um, I mean, he has another one that should have released already a year, like over a year ago. I think it's coming out early That's, next year. Yeah. I think it might have been pushed back again. I think it might actually be the middle or second half of next year. I, I'm not 100% sure about that. I don't feel super confident in saying that, but I, I do think it's like second half of next year now. Um, I'm probably wrong, but whatever. I, I do think that um, this is a different flavor, though. This feel no nope, February 11th. It's coming out in a couple of months. Okay, that's um, what I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it had gotten pushed back again and all the Disney reshuffle, but um, yeah, I, I just I really like this. This is like my favorite thing that probably he's done in a while, and it just I think that's because it just feels so different than a lot of the other stuff he's been doing, um, and I loved it for that. Yeah, I it's a strong film. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, um, and, and there's a lot of is a lot of the stuff that critics have knocked it for, right? I think for being too mawkish and earnest. I mean, I think we need more earnest movies uh in general, but um but I think a lot of that is the product of the decision that they make to tell this story from the perspective of the child, right? Mm-hmm. I think children just see these moments in simpler terms, right? The the um more dark depressing moments are dark and violent and depressing and the happier moments are you know effusive like exuberant like the the dance that his parents have at the end of the movie to everlasting love is you know just pure joy and there's other moments like that in the movie when you know when they they're robbing the candy store or they, they steal from the candy store that's a really fun moment um oh was it a fun moment (laughs) it was um and yeah there's just there's a there's some others too but um i mean i think that's just a a product of the choice that they make i mean another movie that does this and it's you know it's uh obviously a much better movie in my opinion it's one of my favorite movies but the florida project right is another movie that tells a story from a child's perspective and like like you said it has that grave subject matter but it finds those moments of joy in there and i think this movie definitely does that. I think, again, it's a product of telling the movie from the perspective of a child. So if you don't like these moments, then you probably just don't like what this movie is trying to do. Um, I think, and I think one of the clearest examples, right, is like the, there's a, there's a violent showdown that happens towards the end of the movie between Jamie Dornan and this reactionary from the other side of, you know, the, the struggle. And, the whole thing is played out like an old west duel, basically, literally with the theme song from High Noon playing that, in the that they'd been watching on TV. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that just kind of like cemented it for me that like 
yeah, it really is going for that universal thing. Um, because I think the movie is not so much about these events or, you know, even this place as it is like about the people, right? The people are the place. Um, I think that's what the movie wants to make clear. It, yeah. It's at its best when it, um, and it says in it, so many words when you, yeah. the, the, the conversation with pop, which is in the trailer. Ugh. And our and our memories of like our childhood in these times are often colored by our own, you know, perspective. Again, like the I don't you know, the the I don't think we're meant to believe that this showdown in the street literally played out like this. Right. I think it is. Hey, here's this kid who really loves these old Western movies or whatever. And, you know, as Kenneth Branagh is maybe looking back on that now, he, you know, is remembering how as a child he saw this as, you know, this dramatic, you know, thing. So I, I think there's there's something yeah. there about how there's With like Jamie a creative... Jamie in front of the entire riot police. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We have like a creative, you know, license over our own memories. Like there's there's creativity and imagination in the way that our, we remember certain things that happen. It, it, it's not necessarily everything in this movie is meant to be taken as like, this is literally what happened. And again, I think that's maybe where critics are kind of missing it a little bit because, um, you know, they're just kind of taking this at face value. And I think there's a little bit more going on there. At least that's how I took it. I do think that where the movie flags a little bit, again, because it is trying to tell this universal story is when it tries to get more into the specific Protestant versus Catholic stuff and, the portrayal of like the reactionaries again is just sort of is is very broad. We don't really like you know have much of a perspective on them. Um, and I, I don't know. I just felt like I felt like that all of that stuff was was pretty broad. Like the portrayal again of the the political conflicts going on. And what was really resonant was when we focused on this personal story of this family. Um, and, you know, the other person I think is really strong in the movie is Kieran Hines. I think um, as the grandfather, he he has some great moments, um, particularly that he shares with with Judy Dench. But, you know, just sort of the wisdom and storytelling that he imparts on young Buddy um, leads to to some great moments. And, yeah, I do think Katrina Balfi is. I think it's just, just really good. I'm I just looked it up. It, I think it is. Just okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if she'll get any awards buzz. I hope she does. Um, but. Um, yeah, she has a couple of big monologues in this movie that I think she, she really, she swings for the fences and she hits a home run. Um, yeah. And this movie is like a great, like faces movie. Like it really focuses on the faces of these people a lot. So they're asked to do a lot in that aspect of their acting. And I think Katrina Balfi in particular, um, Balfi. excels there. So I, I, I give the movie, I mean, it's not, again, not a perfect movie. I give the movie a lot of points though, for being, something that I wish more movies were, which is again, it's not afraid to wear its heart on his sleeve. And sure. yeah, I think for that reason, it's Roma did have its heart on its sleeve um, for sure, but it, they're just very different movies. I, I don't oh, think the, it's, vi the vibes of the movies are so different. I don't, I don't think it's fair to compare them. I don't think it's fair to compare any movie to Roma, to be honest, because it's just a masterpiece, but um this is a really good movie. Um, you know, some people are saying this is the front runner for best picture at this point. I, I feel like I'd the probably... reactions coming out of the weekend, though. Yeah. Really put it. I'd probably that, heard like, it stuck. I, I, I would be a little disappointed if it won best picture, I will say. Um, because I, I don't think it's in the upper echelon of movies that I've seen this year. Um, you don't think but or you do think? I don't. Um, oh, okay. 
sad. But I mean, it won't be in my top twenty probably at the end of the year. I would say, but um, okay. I, I mean, I still think it's a really it's a strong. It has some great moments. It has some of the best moments of the year. Um, I think as a whole, it's really it, yeah, it's it's very enjoyable. It, I don't know. It just didn't have like deeply affect me um, sure. in the way maybe I was expecting it to. Um, but I, I still definitely, definitely recommend it. And again, I think it has an earnestness that I wish more, more movies would have. So Scott, let's put a score on it. What do you get Belfast? Uh, 8.5. 8.0 for me. Um, it's a, it's a strong movie. Like I said, I recommend it. Go check it out along with all of the other movies that we talked about tonight, because we, we had recommendations for all of them. All right, let's, let's do this, Scott. Rank the four movies we we reviewed tonight. French Dispatch 1, Harder They Fall 2, Belfast 3, Spencer 4. Yeah, I think for me, the, uh, the Harder They Fall is one for me. I, I that's a, That was an easy one. Uh, Belfast, French Dispatch, Spencer. And Red Notice, number five. Red Notice would be number five on that list, yeah. Top five tick, of the year. Tick, tick, um, boom, though. Tick, tick, boom would be number three. We're not there yet. All right, well, Scott, you haven't seen Red Notice either. We're just as there for Red Notice as we are for Tick Tick Boom. (laughs) Fair. I think we ran the gauntlet pretty, uh, pretty smoothly there. I think that that worked out. Um, Sure. But I don't know. We'll see how 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 it comes out in post. Actually, comes out. Yeah. Um, But all right, Scott, I would be remiss if we didn't, uh, if we left without mentioning Red Taylor's version. uh, Oh, that's right. Four people did vote on my Twitter poll that we were actually supposed to have reviewed that on the podcast this weekend. I assume you were one of them, um, but there were three other people we who did, voted. Yeah, I was one of them. Uh, we didn't do it, but I would, as an alternative, recommend go listen to every single album Taylor Swift on the Ringer Podcast Network um, with Nora Princiati and Nathan Hubbard. I've been listening to it since it first came out much earlier this year. They go through, they do a deep dive on every single Taylor album, and they just did a, their Red TV episode, and um, it was very good. Um, I, I'm you, willing you, to come to the table very and listen to the podcast. If Chris Ryan's on, I need I need that the would, CR I heads. can't imagine the, I need the, the CR heads on the pod. Ensue. I can't imagine the chaos that would ensue if if CR showed up on uh, on every single album Taylor Swift. But I really recommend the podcast. Of course, I recommend the album. Um, the song, new songs from the Vault, are pretty much all all bangers. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I tweeted this out, but I, there's just something really sort of sentimental talking about Belfast there. This is like a sentimental memory for me of like everyone sort of going through this album again, 10 years later, like it was the first time. Um, and just me thinking back to, you know, listening to this album in my car on the way to high school. Yeah. You know, Scott, I, I, I have a specific memory of us listening to it in your car and just, you know, I, one of the more important works of art to my life um i hyper you know that's hyper hyperbolic maybe but i actually think it's true in this in this case um red was um, more or and less it was important really like, than little women it's yeah they're both up there but you know this was like obviously i'm a i'm a massive taylor swift fan now but this yeah. was probably the point where it shifted from admiration to standum um was when red came out and and also just seeing the the revitalization re, uh, that All Too Well has had, right? Because All Too Well was not a single. It was not no. a song that was played on the radio or anything when it first came out. 
but it has always been my my favorite Taylor Swift song. Um, it's been my favorite almost, song on that album for sure. Yeah, almost from the first time I heard it, it has always been my favorite Taylor Swift song. And you know, I said that album was the one that unlocked Taylor for me. Maybe even that song specifically. Uh, I just think her the things that make her so strong as a as a um, songwriter her storytelling and imagery are have never been better than they are in all too well so it's crazy to see now that like this is the song right like it's not 22 it's not i know you were trouble it's not we are never ever getting back together right the singles from the album like all too well she just performed the freaking 10 minute version on saturday night live this past week and yeah. all that she came out with the short film all of the talk about this album has been about yeah. All she, too well. She has a short film that debuted at the movie theater that I go to every single yeah. week. They had like a whole premiere and they're showing it three times a night every single night this week. Up it's there. it's very good. It's very I'm sure well the done. trailers before it are longer than the actual film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about yeah, it's about 15 minutes. Um, but it's on YouTube as well. It's very good. It's um, not 10 minutes. Definitely recommend. What? No, because there's actually just some parts that are just dialogue. Um, like the song pauses. She fancies herself a screenwriter. All right. But yeah, it's crazy to like hear this song again because the imagery is so, so rich. Like I pictured these images, you know, many, many times listening to the song over the years. And now to see them, you know, put to the screen is it's surreal just to see the the way that this song has is now the thing when it has been something that is just like so personal to me over the last 10 years. But I know there are many other people who feel that way as well. The, um, the real coup would have been if she could have gotten gotten jake to do it instead of dylan o'brien no I mean, come that, on that'd have been amazing gotta bring jake to the table i don't wish that on jake there there's a pretty <laughs> funny she was on uh, the ultimate on, cuck if he if he did on that seth, on seth myers seth myers asked her like you know what do you do you ever think uh you know what what do you think the people you write these songs about how do you think they feel about them and she was like to be honest with you, I don't really think about what their experience is. And Seth was like, that's got to be the worst burn you could possibly put down like that. Yeah, I don't you know, Seth, if you've heard, but uh, we're never getting back together like ever. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, so I, it was it was an emotional last few days with that, with Cam Newton coming back to the Panthers and scoring two touchdowns in his first game back. The licorice pizza um, reactions. Licorice pizza reactions. Um, I've been going through it uh, in a good way, in a very good way. Um, so that's, I, I had to, I had to get that little plug in there at the end. Um, please listen to, to I'll red. Time code it. I'll time code it. So the people know that it's in the podcast. Oh yeah, please do. Uh, please listen to red Taylor's version and play it to death until whatever the next album is going to be. Uh, because next year I assume we'll be getting one or two more. So let it, let it be I, speak now. I think 1989 will be next because we have actually already heard Wildest Dreams. Uh, Wildest Dreams already got released because it was on the soundtrack for the Spirit, uh, Spirit Untamed, oh, the sequel uh, to the animated that, movie Spirit that came out last year or this year. Uh, was, that, was it really a sequel? I didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, to Spirit the Stallion of the Cimarron. Yeah, I was going yeah, to say the horse, the horse movie. movie. So it was on the soundtrack. Is Wildest Dreams has been released as a single, which makes me think that she's probably already recorded 1989. Um, all but the horse girls all over. It's all in the plan. She had, she, you know, if there's one thing we've we've seen from the last 10 years of Taylor, it's that she has everything planned out and she knows exactly when she's going to release stuff for maximum impact. And yeah, I mean, and she in addition, shadow drops folklore or evermore. In I mean, addition, evermore. 
yeah, in addition to being a fantastic songwriter, um, she is also a very savvy business person, I think. Um, she's she's in touch with what the people want. She knows how to manage her brand. But All right, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, Scott, where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton2013 on Letterboxd. I am at Scarby Dent on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, we also, uh, even if you can't support us over there, we also hope you will rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be reviewing, Scott mentioned it earlier, the biopic about uh, Serena and Venus's Williams' father, Richard Williams, King Richard, starring Will Smith. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Cancel trailers. <laughs>